the platform that Opolis is built on top of could potentially be that, right? Decentralized, but for like the entire world. Um, and for us, we want to be, you know, we I want to enable this by letting people kind of tap into kind of this decentralized identity provider, right? This 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 network. Welcome to Opolis Public Radio, where we dig into how a rapidly changing world is impacting our lives and what we can do about it, with a focus on freelancing, finances, and the future of work. On this episode of Opolis Public Radio, we'll dig into identity, user-friendly authentication, how to bring Web3 to your next-door neighbor, and the shared revenue model that we have employed at the Employment Commons. Welcome to episode five of Opolis Public Radio. Today, I'm joined by Sean Lee, my friend. Sean has served as the co-founder and CEO of Magic Labs, formerly Fortmatic, since 2018. He previously worked at Docker, Kitematic, and served as a fellow at Lightspeed Venture Partners and is a University of Waterloo graduate in computer software engineering. Welcome, Sean. How are you, man? Yeah. Good, good. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for having me here. Oh, my, absolutely my pleasure. Um, so let's, uh, let's, let's kick off into why you're here. So, you know, Fortmatic, now Magic Labs, we've been obviously following you guys closely since your real launch at East Denver 2019. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the advent of Fort, Fortmatic, now Magic Labs, how you got into the space, why you're here, I think Waterloo probably had a little bit of something to it, um, but yeah. Why don't you Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, that whole story? Yeah, it was um, you know my my life. I can't escape Dev Tools. <laughs> I always get roped back into it since I graduated, um, and it's something that I kind of enjoyed doing even in school. It's like I wrote tools to make assignments easier to do, <laughs> so um, it's kind of like baked in. To, to my personality and then, um, you know, started with making Docker a super complicated concept for many developers, really, really simple. In, in late 2016, that's when I got into Ethereum um, and I realized that it's also complicated and then my itch started to um, um, to happen again and I wanted to, you know, build some dApps um, and, so for me, um, if you can see the design, I'm like super anal about design and onboarding. So um, we did user testing and just people couldn't even get started. Like less than 10% people can get through the experience of having to use like Chrome extensions or, or seed phrases in order to use an application. And I, I, you know, I've never seen anything like blockchain, right? Like it's it's such an interesting thing that combines three things, right? Identity, infrastructure, and finance. There has never been something a tech, a piece one piece of technology like that that does all of it. So that got me like really really excited excited um, on top of the implications on politics and finance and, and money, right? So sure, of course, it's it's really exciting and. Um, I, but when I'm a developer trying to build an application, you know, no one could use it. So I'm like, there's a huge disconnect between the two. And um, I felt like I really have to do something about that and because it's also something that I really enjoy doing. So 
Um, I actually waited for a while for innovations to happen in the space so I could build my dad. Um, but you know, I waited for three months and nothing really happened. And there was this whole bunch of excitement around the space. So I was like, yeah, screw it. I'm just going to do it myself. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's what Fortmatic was. Um, it's really an SDK that um, helps developers on board to dApps without having to kind of go through all the hassle trying to get things set up and use a familiar like web 2.0 style um, authentication experience. So that's how um, it pushed me to start. Um, but, you know, obviously it took a while to build and we, uh, you know, thanks to, to John East Denver 2019, you know, we were <laughs> able to, it's the first time we just launched it and, uh, Kind of hope for the best there. <laughs> yeah, we so, well, yeah. I think we did pretty good. I mean, yeah. And then we had you back with uh, in twenty twenty using Fortmatic for authentication for everybody. Yeah, that was yeah such such a great experience, and and you know, East Denver was super awesome for kind of helping us acquiring customers as well. So. Um, yeah. You know, right after oh, user the user feedback. Conference. I mean, yeah. just the whole development process for the applications and stuff. And right, right, and just like hearing all these things and all the things that's going on, it's like a pretty accurate pulse of what's happening in the space. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we were happy to help, and and what was really mm -hmm. fun about it is we actually got early kind of exposure to your white label SDK, mm -hmm. and that was uh, you know, Opolis was the right. first. For, for sure. And then, and, and that's like where we grew the conviction of, you know, such thing would work um, with, with magic as well. Yeah, no, I, I think you're onto something correct. So uh, let me make sure that I understand this. So being in the Web3 space, you kind of notice this, this user usability problem, this onboarding problem, this, mm -hmm. de, you know, even for developers giving people access to their, their dApps problem, mm -hmm. where like, the best, I mean, the only thing on the market back in 2018 really was MetaMask. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what we were using. Um, and, you know, now actually, who was I talking to the other day? Somebody said, like, if you have a DAP that basically demos using MetaMask as a requirement for, you know, getting your user in, like, you're, I mean, you're, you're pretty much dead man walking. Right. Like, oh wow. <laughs> I mean, not that not that crypto nerds can't use it. Like MetaMask right. is great, but like when you talk about scaling a product into you know wide scale adoption, like it it's, it makes it very very difficult. For sure. Um. And and there's you know there's there's a couple of you know problems that as as we build out Fortmatic and something we also observed is, um, like the value that's that can be accrued by dApps are thinning because of, um, you know, solutions like that, right? Like this, um, if you really think about one wallet to serve everything, it almost, almost feels like a, a centralizing force and different customers will have different requirements, right? Like, um, right. and you can't fit all of them in the same uh, solution because it's going to bloat and then it's going to be really, really complicated for people. So, um, it's almost like a design by committee kind of thing. Um, but that's also really, really dangerous, for example, for decentralized applications, because say, um, if if a wallet that they heavily depend on started adding features that they <laughs> that they um, start implementing, then that's like really 
um, that might be a loss of you know revenue or incentives for users to use the DAP. So that's one thing that we kind of observed, and that's like the main driver for this um, white labeledness, right? With 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 Magic Labs, with the the, the white label SDK with Fortmatic. So this way, we can stay really really lean and just do what we do, and let DAPs kind of build out the, the experiences that, that they want and while providing them all the tools that they need. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, uh, we just launched the Opolis product into the wild a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And what's great is people are using magic and they mm-hmm. don't even know it. Right. Like we don't have to tell them, Oh, look at us. We're web three. We're, we're blockchain. Like these, most of the people we're talking to don't even know anything about that. Yeah, that's great. So let's uh, let's kind of rewind a minute and mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the notion of like two terms. There's there's you know there, the overlap between us is really the notion of self sovereign identity, and then for us it's really that self sovereign worker, mm-hmm. right? So the self sovereign worker is kind of a legal and social kind of movement, but then the the notion of self sovereign identity. So you know, talk to a little bit talk to us a little bit about the authentication mm-hmm. process and like how we're evolving and what what this is going to look like and 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 all that. So just to refresh yep. here real quick, here's how we define self-sovereign um, identity from the Opolis white paper. It's the concept of individuals or organizations having sole ownership of their digital and analog identities and control how their control over how their personal data is shared and used. This adds a layer of security and flexibility allowing the identity holder only to only reveal the necessary data for any given transaction or interaction. Since identity is such a central part of society, it is necessary to ensure that the user control will be the primary foundation SSI mm-hmm. will be built on. And then yep. uh, self-sovereign worker to kind of dovetail that is uh, defined as based on the concept of SSI, the SSW will not, uh, not only have sole ownership of their digital and analog identities and control over how their data, personal data is shared and used, the individual also have ownership over their employment and how their employment data is shared in use. So, um, which obviously includes a legal construct in addition to um, just the technological components. So, mm-hmm. you know, why is this so important? I mean, you know, we, we've talked about like, I mean, a lot of people get caught up in the tech, right? It's all web three and right. Bitcoin and all this, but like cast your vision for this. Why is this component of this movement so important? What's your? I think um, if we look at, um, let's look at self-sovereign identity first. Um, What identity really is, it's actually less about the authentication, right? That's kind of, to me, that's like an implementation detail, but it's more about the data that is associated with the users, right? And sure. And, and, so, so in, in this case, let's say, um, who are the biggest identity providers? Um, it, it may actually be Workday, <laughs> who has a lot of uh, data about users. You know they're um, doing a blockchain project, right? Did you hear about that? They're doing well, an identity project. That. I'll have to send it to you. But like they're, they're actually <laughs> uh, working on an identity project at Workday. Interesting. I, I, have, could- I, don't, I don't have a lot of hope for it, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a yeah. whole different podcast right like it's 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 this thing that people are not most people are not seeing that these um it actually always starts from this hr and like um this employment related providers it's because 
they have the most comprehensive comprehensive set of data for each individual, right? And that's actually what the user identity is. But then, you know, we all adopt this ethos of decentralization, right? The obvious danger is that Workday, like one company, is going to own the right. identity. They're going to own yeah. the they're going to own the protocol for identity. Like, right? It's the the technocratic problem, right? It's not really mm -hmm. that different, in my opinion, from what Libra represents to Bitcoin. Right. It's like, okay, you're just taking, you know, the central banking out of the government's hands and you're putting it in a corporation's hands. Right, exactly. And these and, data and are the same extremely kind of, same, valuable. Yeah. Yeah, same kind of thing. Like Workday has the same incentives they've always had, which is they're a public company and they look to drive shareholder value, not stakeholder mm -hmm. value, but shareholder value, which is about IP and data. Yep. And, and well, and revenue streams, of course, but like, I always find it interesting how these sort of stalwart companies are trying to get involved in the space. And I don't really know that they understand that what is being built is actually designed to replace them. Yeah. Like I think it's about like the initial intent, right? Really matters in terms of this. Like to me, you can't start with the intent to own everything and then <laughs> kind of give it away. It's going to be way more difficult than, Kind of starting a new wave of protocols and and, and systems that, that where the intention is that it's self-sovereign workers, self-sovereign identity, right? So making this switch actually cannibalizes their own kind of ecosystem by doing that. So chances are it's not going to be done the right way um, because like it's just like a very conflicting um, kind of narrative, um, and and also like. You know, we see this um, discussed a lot when we uh, jump on calls is, you know, companies looking for like portable identity, right? Between different companies and, um, and, and you know, magic could technically be this connective tissue, right? For these identity providers and other type of services and um, while providing kind of the baseline security and, and authentication. Well, what, what I think is really mm -hmm. important to note there is it seems like, you know, I've, I've, I've heard um, even at the state of Colorado level, they talk about federated data, right? So they're, mm -hmm. they're talking about sharing data across platforms inside the state yep. ecosystem. But the thing they seem to miss is that the data really belongs to the user, right? Like it's, right. it's not them sharing their data. It's them sharing data about an individual amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's kind of like taking the concept of federated sharing, but, but really making sure the ownership lays in the hands of the individual, right? So the individual right. can, can choose to port between and make it more flexible, but it, it's really user centric, not really designed for corporations. Right. right. I mean, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, user friendly authentication. Okay. Let's, let's just mm -hmm. kind of get down to the brass tacks of what you guys are kind of doing mm -hmm. right now and why this matters so much. Um, mm -hmm. Explain to our listeners like what exactly it is that user-friendly authentication is and how it, how it works for you, how you guys make it happen. And, mm -hmm. and then sort of like the trade-offs, like, you know, the, you know, the, the kind of progressive decentralization, like how you're, how you're mm -hmm. actually making this happen and how you're going to market. Right. Um, well, first of all, like user-friendly authentication, um, you know, it's what it describes, like where users can use it without a lot of friction. Right. Uh, not, 40 steps right getting started but like maybe two at the most click so on one, all the traffic lights and <laughs> and like i'm not the captions and i'm not a robots and all that stuff too yeah uh, yeah yeah you, you know when 
if people, uh, uh, yeah, that that happens when a platform gets more attention. So it, it's to prevent like kind of spams. Um, but but for for us, um, we really gravitate towards passwordless authentication. Um, right. So explain uh, using, what that is. Explain what that is. Yeah. So it's with things such as magic links. Uh, we send you an email. The email has a link, which is what they call magic links. And the user will click on the link, and they're automatically logged into the application that they were using without ever needing something like a password or trying to remember a password. Um, and it's a techno it, it, it's pioneered by companies like Slack or Medium, which has a reputation of having good user onboarding experience. So that's where kind of, I think the term for magic links kind of came from. Um, and, you know, we, we feel like um, there's been, like passwords are actually terrible, right? It, like it actually, um, causes more problems because um, it's it's a it's a, it's a chain reaction. If one company gets compromised with all the user passwords, it makes hacking other companies uh, much easier. So it's kind of like a virus that spreads. Um, and most security or identity companies these days, um, they actually hope that password exists so that they can make money providing password security. It's kind of like. Maybe like, um, yeah. It's like antivirus software, right? It's like, well, you know, we wouldn't have anything to sell if there weren't viruses. Right. <laughs> so, so that's like a really interesting and, and thing, right? It's kind of like taxes. It's complicated. So TurboTax can sell more <laughs> service. So, um, yeah, that's uh, another podcast think, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of future podcasts here, um, but I, I feel like we have the opportunity really to start from scratch um, and um, and kind of start from passwordless authentication, right? Which is becoming like a trend recently, just recently too, because um, you know ninety three percent all of all the data compromised happened within the last eight years in a sixteen year period. So it's speeding up and things are not looking very good. So. Um, uh, so, you know, removing passwords, it's it's kind of like wearing masks for a company. It's actually socially responsible if you don't get hacked. Um, and then it's going to prevent other people from getting hacked. So um, that's one thing that we really want to push with Magic is this passwordless authentication. Um, and, you know, well, under the hood, you know, it's powered by decentralized identity, like pioneered by, you know, the W3C standard. Uh, Microsoft and other identity providers are heavily looking into it. Um, and then this decentralized identity is actually based on top of blockchain key pairs, right? Which is um, what I feel like it's like a, it's like a loaded key pair instead of a preparatory public private key pair, we use blockchain key pairs and that's like loaded with meaning and help us connect to the blockchain infrastructure like much easier, right? In the future to DeFi, to uh, DEOs and um, you, just anything you can imagine, right? Instead of companies that kind of use their preparatory techniques, uh, if blockchain becomes thing, they, they're not future-proof to be able to just instantly connect with um, this this massive ecosystem. So, um, you know, that's something that we're quite excited about. Um, and, um, you know, the, the trade-off here um, really is kind of familiarity. Um, some users may not be used to um, having a fully passwordless experience, 
they, 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 they want their, they're conditioned to want that. Right. They're like, right. Where's, where's my, what's my password? I don't know. They're right. Like, they correlate that to, that's just what you do. Right. It's like, is this safe without a password? Right. And, yeah. Exactly. So how are you overcoming that? Like, I mean, how, is, is it just a, a slow slog of education or is it, is there another path to this? Cause I, I think you mentioned medium and Slack have kind of done some of this. So like, I've even had authentication systems where they'll text you like a passcode and then you put it in, right? Mm-hmm. Like you do that too, right. where it's like um, you're using uh, other points of, of security, like mm-hmm. mobile devices or 2FA or things like that to like verify a person's identity. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think it's just going to catch on or what do you think? What do you think the magic bullet is? Yeah. I mean the, the um, magic bullet, it, right? <laughs> nice. Um, it's it's all you know it, it is a problem that kind of solves by itself um and i feel like uh, maybe when slack and medium first did it it could be like an odd thing for many people but as there's more application adding passwordless experience users do get more used to it like i think substack just uh, has magic links now too so um i think i think it for things like this is all about timing if you're like too early sure. It may be like difficult, but you know, just given all these hacks recently and this general general more awareness about pa- passwords, like why do I need a password manager, right? Like why do I, uh, why are there all these password breaches? Like it kind of uh, it kind of like slips into the user's consciousness, right? And and they're starting to be more aware of these things now. Um, and then at this right timing. You combine it with like more pieces around security and we talk about identity and there's more about why we shouldn't have passwords uh, it's going to eventually move the needle um, and then we think magic as this catalyst right that um, that we are able to convince developers that hey magic uh, passwordless is a good thing to do and then there's going to be more applications using passwordless and it the, the message kind of spreads by itself so um, you know, that's, that's our, um, uh, idea here. Yeah. I think you're probably right. I mean, it, it seems like these things have their own sort of network effects. They're, they have mm-hmm. their own virility and, um, you know, with, you know, when you get to a point where mm-hmm. companies like LastPass are making a killing on just helping people manage their garbage, like mm-hmm. passwords and, and like not get locked out of their systems. Like I know I'm guilty of this totally. Right. Um, <laughs> And then like, so I don't forget stuff. I use the same password over multiple platforms, which is why it makes it so easy to hack other companies because yep. you can, you can basically reuse the data because so many people use the same right. password authentication over multiple platforms to make it re- easy to remember. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. 51% um, of, of people reuse their passwords. <laughs> Oh, I bet it's more than yeah. that. Like, I mean, <laughs> that's, just, that, that, that's like the, yeah, it's like 51% reuse their passwords 49 percent are lying about it like <laughs> you know it, it's um yeah. it, it is what it is so okay so let's let's jump into the future a bit then um so you and i have talked a lot about right. like the future of of identity the future of authentication the future of work and really all of this kind of circles around this one core problem that we all have around building our products in this space, mm-hmm. which is user adoption. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 2019 was the year of DeFi. 
right? Yeah. And 2020 is sort of a mulligan year, I think, in a lot of respects for a lot of things. There's just lots of pause buttons. And not that we're not moving forward. Right. It's just it's just a different kind of inertia. It's kind of an interesting energy, I think, this year. Right. Um, but 2021, you know, there's a lot of eyes on that, right? Like what's going to happen coming out, coming out the backside of COVID-19? Uh, what are the major developments going to be? Cause like, you know, DeFi is great, but really it's mostly just a bunch of crypto nerds and speculators that are like, you know, doing their thing. Right. And mm-hmm. you talk about average next door neighbors, right? Like how do you, you know, what's the future of getting our next door neighbors using these more democratic systems, right? Because that's really what this is about. This isn't mm-hmm. about the tech, the tech just for the tech's sake. The tech actually right. is a path to a, um, a social outcome, which is more fair democratic outcomes, more choice and liberty around how my identity is being used, how my data is being used, ownership of mm-hmm. it's the, the sovereignty movement, right? It's, it, which is really liberty it's really just about giving people choice commercial choice like really not just being sort of a part of a people farm and you know data extraction or value extraction so right well you know why opolis why formatic why Mm -hmm. magic labs like why why is this important do you think Mm -hmm. yeah i i think there's there's many facets to this and i think um so you know, with Fortmatic, Magic Labs, we, we thought about lot, a lot about onboarding, right? And it's not as simple, like onboarding into the blockchain or decentralized or more democratic systems. Um, it's, it's not that straightforward, like cutting down frictions uh, in, in the onboarding right. experience, right? Um, you know, that's what we do best. So that's the piece that we contribute to, right? Um, whereas there's a lot of other things. How do you even get people in crypto space to interact with DeFi at all? Right? Like, Most people have no uh, idea what, what the heck it is. Yeah. They're like but off-ramps. Yeah. Yeah. And then so, how do you make it usable with off-ramps? Yeah. Right. Right. So it's it's a, like a lot of that. And that's one thing that really gravita- made me gravitate towards Opolis. And what you are working on is, I, I you know, I realized that like one of the best ways to onboard someone to a system is to pay them with the, the currency that's or, or mechanism that's part of the system, right? Kind of like why we spend fiat money to buy stuff because we're paid in fiat. <laughs> and and it's the best way to onboard people, right? So I think uh, if we're able to solve this kind of giving people money problem in a legal way, in a compliant way, in a way that's sure. like super, super easy, um, it's going to be really, really beneficial to um, the kind of mainstream user and giving them more ideas around what they can do with the money and the system. So I think that's like the ultimate starting point. It's like from ground, like zero, right? Whereas like solving user friction is like, like level one, right? So um, we need to, we need to kind of start with the bottom bottom to get started with that. So um, and it's also very good timing because now um, with with COVID, people are getting more familiar with like remote work, which enhances the, this kind of digital nomad movement that started a couple of years ago too. So, um, you know, I moved out of city. I think like a lot more people are going to like work while they travel. And there's just like a lot of- oh, 100% uh, agree. I mean, the trends are all pointing that direction. And co- this right. was before COVID. 
right? COVID right. is just an accelerant. It's like putting yep. gas on the fire. But um, I read a I read an article the other day that there was some prominent company. Gosh, who was it? I think it was in San Francisco or maybe LA that mm-hmm. said, you know, we've basically realized that we can go remote. Like they'd never tried it before, right? So like, right? You know, nobody Twitter. had ever like whoever it was, but it was some. It was a prominent company. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't. Tw- I got a comment here yeah. that it was Twitter. Well, Twitter was one of them at least. So Twitter said that, I guess. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's it's a uh, it's a thing. And I think it's not just about that though. I mean, what it seems to me. So we talk. We've talked at length about this. Mm-hmm both you and I, and we talk about this a lot, but it seems like just the values of and what people expect to get out of their work and commercial experiences is just very different than what the value proposition was even 20 years ago. Right. You know, people are looking for variety, flexibility, freedom, choice, Mm -hmm. where 20 years ago, it was really employment was designed as a means to an end and and you were sort of plugging into this system that like it or hate it, you needed to participate in because you had to figure out how to fund your lifestyle, whatever you wanted. Right. Right. Now you got to choose whatever your lifestyle was, but you had to kind of, depending on how high up the echelon you wanted to go, the more and more you had to sell your soul to, to get to it. (laughs) And, and, and I think those realities Maybe there's a, a little bit of a cynicism coming from younger mm-hmm. populations, watching the older populations be miserable and stay in jobs they hate. And I think there's just a there's just a movement away from this sort of, um, yep. as we refer to it, this paternalistic employment, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's that's a. But the, these these concepts like dovetail very closely with the whole movement of what really Web three is about, socially speaking. Yep. Yep. Right. Exactly. As, and I agree with you. I mean, our entire supposition was all about, like, how do we get a bunch of people exposed to, to, to these concepts? And whether or not they elect to get paid in crypto, mm-hmm. they have the option to doing it. And kind of like yeah. you said about, you know, getting the password list stuff being adopted. I, th- right. I personally think it's just a function of time. As long as mm-hmm. people had access, have access and they can yep. see it and they have choice at some point they're going to go, Hmm, maybe I should participate in this, you know, decentralized retirement. Right. Plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Maybe I should, maybe I should, maybe I should invest in, in uh, Bitcoin or some other coin, right. Mm-hmm. Or like some other digital asset, right. Maybe I right. should, you know, try these things out. And I think over time, I think it's just a, it's, it's just a hill of dominoes. I think, people just start doing it and and then the systems and functions that create capability to accept other currencies for payments and all of mm-hmm. that become more widespread and and before you know it you can pretty much pay in whatever you want right yeah you know? this is like this the steps before the roads are actually being built and yeah it's the infrastructure using, it's like the, yeah yeah well we've said that payroll is the commercial protocol for an individual, right? So mm-hmm. it's where everything happens. It's where they pay their taxes from. It's where they pay their health insurance from. It's where they, um, you know, fund their retirement accounts. It's where they pay their bills from, you know, it's right. everything, right? So payroll, yep. if we can get people to a place where they can easily use and easily manage both their identity 
mm-hmm. and their employment. I mean, pff, sky's the limit. You can build everything <laughs> else on top of it, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. There's a lot of potential, and and there's this trend towards a more user uh, or, or human first internet, right? Instead of like um, like huge corporates. So. Um, you know, we're we're starting to see a lot of that as well, like protecting users' rights, protecting user data, um, and and you know, combined with this decentralized decentralizing force, um, like you mentioned, that you know, people want variety sometimes, right? Um, and maybe like a, a big city here in the U.S. is not the best fit right for that. So there's want to give as much optionality as possible to people so that they can work, you know, anywhere they want. And, in, in the uh, within a system that they would prefer, right? So this this kind of gives a lot of uh, optionality for that. Yeah, optionality is a really interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually riffed on that with a couple of other people too. But optionality mm-hmm. seems to be the cornerstone of really what freedom's about, right? When you talk mm-hmm. about, you know, you can even make it a political conversation if you want, but like. <laughs> optionality giving people choice is mm-hmm. really the fundamental principle behind all of that yeah it's yeah it's the equality of opportunity and, and giving people uh a, a choice to do what they like or to be you know sold advertising or to be exploited in their data or to sell their data <laughs> right if you want to sell your data right. that's your choice but you should be the benefactor of selling your data right i mean that's right <laughs> that's the only argument against the way data is handled today is that the person whose data it is isn't benefiting mm-hmm. right right yeah yeah interesting um so let's talk about our partnership so you know you're baked into the opolis stack mm-hmm. what do you think this what do you think this evolves into down the road, you know, how, how does Opolis and, and Magic Labs become a part of everybody's everyday life? You know, do some vision casting. Like, we're, <laughs> very, we're, we're at a very early stage of this, right? So, like, this isn't what I would say is very, it's not mature yet, right? Right, right. Uh, b- besides, you know, besides just providing, like, a solution, like, as software, as a service, I see there's a lot of synergy between, um kind of the employment stack and identity, right? And and like I mentioned before with, you know, Workday is probably one of the largest identity providers in the United States, right? So um, what the platform that Opolis is built on top of could potentially be that, right? Decentralized, but for like the entire world. Um, and for us, we want to be, you know, we I want to enable this by letting people kind of tap into kind of this decentralized identity provider, right? This 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 network. So um, I see not just one potential, just letting people authenticate into um, Opolis or DEOs, but also letting people interact with kind of all these financial uh, applications that, that as yeah. an extension on top of this platform. And I think that's going to be like huge for people, like way better interest rates than what you could receive from a bank um, way better like investment opportunities potentially, right? Like more like better synthetic products and just you, you name it and kind of really um, like open up the possibilities of decentralized finance and, and identity and, and, and give people this, um, this idea that their identity is also portable into other things. So um, it is 
um, yeah, it's 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 a vision that you know makes a lot of sense if we don't want a world where it's it's like controlled by like this this crazy hierarchy and this centralizing well, force Facebook and monopolies. Or, yeah, it's, it's so it's yeah. either Facebook or it's Google so or well. it's Citibank <laughs> or you know some uh-huh. monstrosity that has very different incentives than what the individuals have. Right, right, and and you know just. I've been, I've been thinking a lot, a lot about like models, right? And, and the trends for technology. And really there's two major forces. And one is democrat, democratization. And then one is automation, right? So, um, you know, if you, if you think about the internet in the early days, it's like internets controlled by big telecom com- companies. And eventually the, it democratized into the internet where it's owned by the participants of it to some extent. Right. Um, before well, it's kind it, it of highly, yeah, it's still, I mean, it's, it's, it's corporatized, but it's still owned by the participants. Right. Like, very powerful institutions, corporate institutions own mm-hmm. the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. ISPs have very little to do with it now. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like kind of democratizing, like there's more participants than before. Um, and then, you know, I can see the same in the future, right? Like, Maybe maybe every application, every company can be a bank, can be a financial service, can be an identity provider. It's really, it's a really interesting concept, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it, just much more fluid. It seems like mm-hmm. you know where what we're doing is, and this is going to bring me to our our final topic of conversation mm-hmm. here in a minute. But you know, just the the the, the fluidity of commercial experience is going to be much more seamless, right? Like I I, I right. probably won't have to have logins and passwords to six different banks, mm-hmm. you know, like what mint did back in the day where they sort of mm. consolidated, you know, a little bit of that, but with, but with everything, but with a right. decentralized ID and marketplaces that get built around de- new, new DeFi products, like insurance products, mm-hmm. retirement products, investment products, um, the modification of investor uh, accreditation laws, like, right. I mean, the, the, when you really think about the layers that could get impacted by a successful implementation of the employment experience, right? Like, what could? Because like everything kind of piggybacks on that. Mm-hmm. Like, but it, centralized employers, corporate employers, don't want any of this other commercial activity happening around their employment, right? right. Like, um, you know, even even the, the conversations that we're having around healthcare anymore. Like, I mean, it, if it, if people haven't realized that it's obvious that you shouldn't have your healthcare organized around your employer, like right. there's no there's no there's no correlation to why that actually makes any sense. I mean, you got to really rewind the clock to unpack that one. Cool. But like, yeah, <laughs> why why should why should we continue to do any of that stuff? Like, it should be user driven. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the start that's the, from me. Yeah. <laughs> start from the individual and give yeah. them choice mm-hmm. around all the different components that their commercial experience entails. And then the rest of it, you just bolt it on and let, let the, let the open markets decide what, what the good products are, and what the bad products are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. yeah a global public, a global public utility for employment, nameless, yeah. faceless, <laughs> that just is mm-hmm. and does. How beautiful yeah, would that be? Beautiful. And scaling, scaling infinite value in you know a more cooperative, stakeholder-driven way. So let's talk about that. 
Mm-hmm. So the shared revenue model of Opolis. So you're familiar with it, of course. Yeah. Um, we're getting ready to to actually. Uh, you haven't even seen this yet, but we're going to get read, ready to uh, discuss uh, in our sort of stewardship circle, in which of course you'll be invited to at some point. Uh, the uh, the the value creation and sharing program um, that involves tokenization. So bootstrapping essentially the network through a uh, through a token model, right? Mm-hmm. And creating sustainable, shareable value that ultimately uh, creates a new game and system. So tell us a little bit about like why that's of interest to you. Why do you think that matters? Like what what is it about that particular component that you think matters the most? Uh, I think it's just in general a really good incentive model because it, it does scale with the strength and, and uh, of the network and how many participants are uh, participating in this network. Right. So that's something that, you know, just makes makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it's like RevShare. That's something that we do as well, like for um, the people, uh, like consultants who, uh, you know, use magic in, in their in their customers' products, then there's like a RevShare model going on as well. It's a really good way to kind of align incentives between uh, people. And in your case, maybe multiple providers as well, right? So everyone kind of helps contribute to the same idea, uh, which is like kind of maximizing the kind of usage of the network, right? Which is like decentralized and it's got different stakeholders. So I think it's a really powerful way to... um, to do that, to align incentives. And that's something that, you know, I can really get behind on. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, to, to give our listeners a little bit of context on this, you know, the, and you and I have talked about this too, where mm-hmm. I, I find it kind of funny that, um, or ironic, maybe funny isn't a good word, but ironic <laughs> that, that we have a bunch of decentralized technology being built on highly centralized traditional companies, mm-hmm. um, frameworks, right? So like, Right. C Corps and, you know, it's, it's the old blueprint of VC, right? And I'm not, I'm yeah. not going to, I'm not going to bash VC because <laughs> I think, I think VC has done a lot of good for the world, but we're evolving to this sort of place of uh, stakeholdership, not just shareholdership. Yeah. Right. And rewarding participation, consumption, contribution, because value comes to a network in more denominations than just investment, right? It's not just mm-hmm. capital that creates value in a network. And, yep. and, you know, I think this is going to be a really interesting experiment. I mean, it is, it, let's call it what it is. I mean, this has never really been done before. I mean, cooperatives have been around for a long time. You know, there's, there's examples of, you know, shared value creation and distribution mm-hmm. of value. And even in highly capitalistic senses, like there's very profitable cooperatives out there, right? Like it's yeah. not, it's not like we have to immediately run to the nonprofit or completely open source, you know, not that a lot of the tech that we're all playing with isn't open source, but like the value creation isn't really lying in the tech then it's really lying in the people and contribution. I mean, yep. don't, you, don't you think that's the most interesting part of this? Because up to this point, the value has all been in the tech. Yeah, it's it's kind of growing out, right? So um, the whole idea of crypto networks is that it's aligning participant uh, incentives. Stakeholder, stakeholder right? incentives, right. Stakeholder, yes, stakeholder incentives. Um, and then um, it kind of expands that beyond like an investor-company relationship. Uh, right, it actually, it's highly yeah. multidimensional. Right. 
in, even including the users, the users of the Bitcoin network are also contributing to it to some extent. Yeah, of, and, of course. Yeah. And, and so um, it started with this, like this pure uh, element of like a successful social experiment. Right. And then it kind of ex expanded uh, now into more use cases and people are really being creative uh, around that. And I think that the, the employment organizations, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the major uh, beneficiaries of, of this model, right? So now For we're sure. just elaborating based on the core concept of stakeholder incentive alignment. And, and this is, um, and what we're seeing now with all these governance models, even DeFi projects launching tokens and, and, and it's, just, it's, it's kind of happening and we're seeing, seeing all these, these, these signs, right. Of, of, of this movement happening. Um, and, yeah, well, it's, so it's like a, it's like a yeah. convergence. It's like all the different mm -hmm. principles from governance and DeFi and mm -hmm. tokenization, crypto economics, shareholder or stakeholder alignment, game theory design, yeah. like all of these things are starting to actually come into, um, come into view. It's, it's, it's actually starting to feel like it's not just a crypto nerd game anymore. Right. You know? Like it's actually starting to feel like, and, 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 you know, when we started ETH Denver in 2018 and even in 2019, mm -hmm. like it didn't feel like that. It, it felt very, I mean, we were always talking about user, user usability and user adoption and UX considerations and private key management and all of that. But like, mm -hmm. I think we were actually getting to a place now where we have incredibly competent teams that have, that have emerged. And now it's about figuring out how to sustainably get them to collaborate towards you know you know a handful of very important considerations and projects but then mm -hmm. have their stakeholders all benefit right so it's not about it's not actually about really figuring out the next version of a scarcity model of sharing it's actually figuring out the abundance model of yes. pure collaboration in a technological world yep that's what it feels like we're moving into that's right. I think this is a switch from scarcity to abundance mindset, you know, just the economics 100%. and collaboration. If, yeah. If, if there's one thing that everybody listening to this needs to take away, that is a human thing, not a technological thing, but the technological thing allows for a system to exist that people can operate from abundance, not just mm -hmm. purely based on scarcity, which is, how most of our games are designed today. And when I say games, I mean everything that we participate in is a game of sorts, like, mm -hmm. but it's all based on scarcity. It's based on, on limited resources and the notion that I have to compete with you to get it right. instead of collaborating with you to multiply to, you know, one plus one equals three, right? Like we've never actually created a, a, a capitalistic system of value creation that, mm -hmm. that operates that way with a very, you know, uncapped, scalable system. We've never done it. Right. So, so yeah, this, now we have the infrastructure to do it and, and we're, the, we're the right there. behind it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to go ahead and uh, open up for questions and we're going to go ahead and wrap up um, into Q&A. And if we don't have any Q&A, then we'll wrap for a couple more minutes and then um, we will move on to the next call next time. So, or we'll just, we'll just uh, kind of cast into the future here. 
So any questions, so go ahead. If you have any questions, there's a Q&A function on Zoom that you can go in and actually type your question live. Sean and I are here. We'll answer your question on air. Um, if there are no questions, then I have a couple of follow-up topics we can just jam on for a minute. And, um, and we'll go from there. So please put your questions in now. All right, while they're doing that, um, if you were to say the thing that you're most excited about, um, the, th the one thing that you're most excited about in the next six months to six to 18 months, what is it? Well, a, a lot of things. Um, give me your, give me your number work. one short list. Like what's the top thing that you're most excited about? Um, you know, I, I hope COVID <laughs> kind goes of away. remains more under <laughs> goes away. <laughs> <laughs> so the borders can lose some restrictions and I can actually visit my family. <laughs> so that's, that's really, um, you know, top, top of mind actually <laughs> for me because yeah. I haven't seen them for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a good one. I, I got the same thing on my radar too. We do have a couple questions that have popped in here. Nice. Um, are there plans to work with other companies? So, uh, this is from Joseph Wesley. Mm -hmm. So, um, Joseph, Yes, in the context of Opolis, we're gonna we have a roadmap to work with. I think we have what fifteen, Sean, that we've kind of mapped out fifteen projects that we've right in the something like that paper. Yeah, yeah. So we've got plans to work with you know uh, smart contracts for legal agreements, um, decentralized accounting software, uh, decentralized billing. Uh, software, like there's a ton of integrations that we're looking at, DeFi markets, um, freelancer financing for invoices, things like that. So mm -hmm. there's a ton on the radar for that. Um, so yeah, a lot more to come. In fact, uh, we just, we've, we've got a ton of partnerships going on. So if you haven't read the off-white paper, go to opolis.co, download it, check it out. That'll give you a sampling. And if you have interest in talking with us more about any of that, or if you have a project that you think we'd be interested in, we're, uh, we're actually actively looking for partners in certain compartments of uh, the, the uh, native technology stack. Thanks for your question, Joseph. Next question is from Dustin Big Red Goodwin. How you doing, Dustin? Uh, how do you envision the cross between capital formation and the employment experience? There's a future <sighs> casting question. So the short answer for this without spending the next 20 minutes riffing on the topic is I think I think what happens when Opolis, when the employment commons becomes a global movement and there's millions, if not, you know, the goal would be a billion people globally. Let's start there. If you have that kind of captivity or, or that captive attention, captivity is a bad word, but the captive attention from that amount of people, but they're choosing to be there. They're, it's their choice, right? You have a much easier way to organize people and you have a much easier way to aggregate other resources and because you're dealing with payroll, I mean, you could have um, community funds that pop up out of this. You could have um, investment vehicles that pop up, VC funds that are funded purely by people's payroll. I mean, again, uh, I mentioned in accredited investor laws. I think we're going to see shift in that. I think we're going to see uh, maybe a certification or something like that instead of just net worth where I can take a quick test just like a series seven and I can actually qualify to invest without having to have a ton of capital. So I think having that many people, you know, collective bargaining is not a new thing. Collective, you know, collective, anything is not a new thing, but if you're at, if we're actually successful in, in 
creating a public utility for employment that aggregates people into this shared effort. Uh, th that type of cooperation opens up doors like I don't think we've ever seen for capital formation and and other type of finance products like that or investments, investment vehicles for just the, the regular individual. It's never been possible before. But as we talked about earlier in the podcast, you've got to do this part first before you can do those kind of vehicles. Because right now, nobody has access to them. Nobody knows would know where to find them or what, what to look for. But if they're just sitting in your payroll dashboard at some point in the future, you know, hey, why not put 50 bucks into that? Why not put 100 bucks into that? Why not, you know, you can have Morningstar ratings on these things, just like anything else. I mean, it could be a really interesting thing. Thanks for the question, Dustin. Uh, Joseph Wesley, we're back. Uh, another question from you. Uh, oh, okay. I think we've already answered this one. Uh, expand service offerings. So yes, mm -hmm. the answer to that is, yeah, we, 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 we do. We do plan mm -hmm. on expanding the service offerings quite a bit and offering a much more robust native technology as well as marketplaces into lots of different financial products and things. A uh, question from Julian uh, to either of us. Who do you think the company protocol group project is doing the best job at sol solving the data portability problem? Yeah. It is associated with digital identity. That's a good question. This is a good one. Uh, I'd, I'd definitely uh, recommend taking a look at Threebox. Um, you know, I think they're, it almost feels like they're the pioneers in the space and they recently announced ceramic protocol, um, you know, which, which is like a, more lower level infrastructure to support something like this. And uh, us here at Magic is looking really closely um, at 3Box and Ceramic Protocol and figuring out ways that we can kind of leverage the technology to provide um, data portability for users. Um, there's, there's just, um, you know, there's also other companies like, you know, Oasis Labs. I think they're a bit more focused on the privacy aspect as well. So, you know, there's, there are quite a few, um, and, and those are the top of uh, mind right now. Yeah, what, what I think is interesting about 3Box mm -hmm. is up to this point, most identity projects have really focused on not just authentication, but also the data part, right? So, so like right. Michael Sina, the found, one of the co-founders of, of uh, 3Box, comes from Uport, which was one of the first identity projects. Mm -hmm. And um, I think they, you know, in he and I's conversations, they've learned quite a bit from that experience. And now instead of focusing on the authentication part at all, they're focusing on really the components that, that make up the, the real reputation, if you will, or identity of a person in a, uh, whether it's, you know, I mean, a lot of this is commercial experience stuff, but um, yeah, I would actually echo the sentiments. I mean, I, I think, um, I, I think the experience that the team at, at that three box has is probably some of the best that I've seen and they got a, they got high integrity as well. So these are really quality individuals that are building the project. So shout out to our friends at, uh, at three box. But I think um, if you do read the Opolis off white paper, they are one of the planned integrations. I think uh, there's a little bit of groundwork and, and just development and maturation to happen uh, with the Opolis employment commons to, to actually get that done. Uh, but we also share the same interest and we're closely following to see what happens with them. So shout out, free shout out to, to three box. Um, all right. Any other questions? Let's see. We got time for like one more. So if, if, if anybody else has a question, dump it in the Q and a real quick and we'll jump on it. 
going to be really interesting to see. I, I was just reading, this is totally off topic, but I was just, yeah. uh, the, the Major League Baseball 60-game season is coming back now, and they're going to be like the first ones, it seems like, to actually attempt to put fans in the stadiums on some level. But um, When is that? <laughs> it starts at the end of this month, so uh, I think what? the 24th, uh, July 24th, and um, several teams have indicated that they're going to let, quote, a limited amount of fans into the park. Now, what that means, I don't know. I mean, with a 25,000 or, excuse me, 50,000 person ballpark. Right. Oh, you know, wow. what, what are you going to do? Let 400 people in? Like, yeah, I, I, don't I think know. it's it maybe at the gate, you know, like to, how far do people stand? They feel stand too close they may be infected at the gate so i, I know the whole thing yeah. seems like a total nightmare to me so that'll be really interesting to see all right well we yeah. haven't had any we haven't had any other questions come in so sean thank you for your time Thanks uh so your insight and wisdom is always very well appreciated the conversation is always really fun um i look forward to doing lots of different things with you guys and your team um of course just thank you yeah. Thank you yeah. Likewise. Thank likewise. You. I enjoy our conversation every time. And uh, so to our, yeah, you're, you're very welcome to our <laughs> listeners. Thank you for joining this episode of Opolis public radio. Remember to subscribe on uh, Opolis's YouTube channel for more videos, just like this. If you subscribe or you can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, if you prefer just the audio version. Um, if you are a freelancer, gig worker, independent contractor, entrepreneur, or just looking to explore the idea of self-sovereign work, um, come check out Opolis at opolis.co. That's O-P-O-L-I-S dot C-O. And we'll see you there. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. We hope you liked the episode. If you did, please leave us a rating or review and don't forget to subscribe. See you next time.